What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. If you are a listener from the United States, you are getting geared up for a nice, long federal holiday weekend. Yes, we have Labor Day. That means do nothing but collect sports cards. Can you get away with that this weekend? Well, you're off to a good start because you're listening to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative, and I appreciate you tuning in. I have been thinking about this conversation for quite some time. When I think about player collector or player collecting, there is one page that comes to my mind, and it's because of the dedication, the consistency, and just the years of being so laser focused. And that is who I'm bringing on today. Today's guest is Tim. You might know him on Instagram at Marino Collector. And I'll just say this from a product knowledge perspective in the football card arena, there's not a lot of people who can go as deep as him. And that is because of the years that he has been collecting Dan Marino. So we're going to talk about that in this episode. I really, really enjoyed it. Full of passion. Hopefully you enjoy this conversation and it inspires some of what you're doing with your PC. If you like what I'm doing, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons, but you know the most important thing to do. That's tell a damn friend that you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. All right, so I am excited for this conversation. I think uh, my first exposure to today's guest page came from a showcase back in the day that uh, Mike, Joe Montana, 16 collector, was hosting. And I just saw the collection and the passion of for all things Dan Marino. So today we're joined by Tim. You know him on Instagram as Marino Collector. And we're going to be talking about just the product knowledge he's gained over all the years of collecting Marino, and we'll get into his Marino stuff. But without further ado, Tim, welcome, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Looking forward to having this uh, conversation. And uh, it's always fun to talk about the hobby. It sure is. Um, Maybe we start here about your fandom for Marino. I want to know where this started how it started and just uh kind of what was the catalyst for you with your connection with uh dan so there's multiple layers about that i I grew up in central florida and uh marino was the man marino was everywhere this was uh mid 80s when we moved down to florida um i was too young to remember it then but i remember being four or five years old and getting having one of my brothers get the five thousand dollar uh five thousand count box out of the top of the cap closet because i was a messy kid so the parents kept the cards hidden away but i'd I'd have them bring down the five thousand count set it behind the couch and i'd dig through them till i found my marino rookie card that's a fond memory i have uh my best friend in kindergarten me and him became good friends because he he loved dan marino too so it, it it's always growing up in florida dan marino was everywhere dan was the man it really was what i liked the most what made me the the happiest when i was collecting I did other things too uh, as a kid, tons of different interests and all that stuff. Actually, working at card shops at a at a young age, from '94 uh, High Series Stadium Club to um, 2000 Quantum Leaf, I was working at a card shop every single Saturday. I I always had my nose in a Beckett. 
Uh, I collected Isaac Bruce too at the time when no one knew who he was uh, before he even caught the the game winning touchdown against the the Titans, which I definitely have to mention to to the Titan fans I know watching. And it the collection kind of just evolved. I got to a point. I was in college. I was I was putting together uh, jersey sets of every rookie, and I was enjoying that. But it got to a time where I was kind of I was stale. I was kind of like 2004, 2005. I was I was kind of like let me let me focus a little bit more on my Marino stuff. I, I counted them up at the time. I think I had like 963 or something like that. I'm like I can get close to a thousand. I started going on Beckett back when I had the buy sell trade and uh found some people who who had the regular cards and i realized pretty soon i could probably get every single regular card every short print at the very least of marino there was there at the time maybe 100 120 that i was missing so it seemed like a much more fun project to me than um than going after uh you know a rookie jersey that may or may not pan out just to do a set and eventually uh i made more friends uh, met a, a really good dude named Hurdy. Uh, went by Hurdy Thirteen, uh, an, a former Australian football player who who collected Marino too, and he was more of a getting autographs. So uh, pretty soon, with Hurdy's help, I doubled my whatever autographs I had. He gave me double value for Marino stuff, and pretty soon I finished all the base cards and was really freaking close to the inserts. And by that time, the ball just kept rolling, kept rolling until about two thousand nine. I was on fire. Like I was living in Jacksonville, Florida, and every single product I was opening, I was hitting crazy person Harvin cards, which UF rookie of the year. You know, I pulled the contenders Gators uh, redemption card. I pulled the tops rookie premier autograph red ink uh, limited to 10. I kept just pulling all these great Harvin cards and I kept trading them for Marino. And I'm looking at this and I'm open. I open up a hundred fifty dollar box, get a two hundred dollar Harvin card, and I trade that for Marino. I'm like, how long can I get the best card in a product? And constantly trading and fighting to struggle to try to get the Marino cards I want, and it just just made no sense at the time. You know, some products might have a Marino autograph number out of twenty five, which would sell for a hundred bucks, and the box was two hundred. I'm like, I I can't bust that. I I know as much as I want it to be in there, I know that autograph isn't in there eventually just just made it real it made me realize that between everything it was was marino stuff that got that itch right for me you know it, it was best quarterback uh in franchise history uh one of if if not the depending on who you ask uh uh greatest quarterbacks ever uh definitely everyone's top five for the most part um he took a lot of horrible teams and 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 made them a lot better uh, retired with the most win regular season wins or second most regular season wins and and just was a was a legit player and, and someone who I thought would always go down in the NFL record books so it made it easier for me to um spend what I was spending on what I liked the most I, I felt like I was getting my value out of it no doubt um and I want to get back into your collection but want to spend a, a second on Dan Marino the player you know when I grew up Colts were in the AFC East, so it was playing the Dolphins, and the Dolphins were always good because the Dolphins had Marino. And I would watch the Dolphins always beat the Colts, and growing up it was like, man, Dan Marino is so great. And then you flash forward until today, and it's for as good as Dan Marino was and one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Like I feel like I don't see his cards 
in the hobby outside of your page specifically. So it's almost like Dan Marino is staying alive in my mind from following your page and the way you curate his collection. Maybe talk a little bit about that dynamic. I mean, you can see, you know, Manning, Brady, Favre, all these guys, Montana, but it just doesn't seem like there's a ton of Marino collectors out there. Um, Why do you think that is? Maybe talk a little bit about that. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think my feels about it is when I'm normally meeting the other Marino collectors that I talk to and I've always talked to is they were always much older than me. It could be just more of at that time in that time period that Marino was you know, kind of like the way people look at Aaron Rodgers is probably my best way. Like there is tons of Packer fans who love Aaron Rodgers, but there's a lot of people in the United States who buy Aaron Rodgers, who are older dealers, who see him as a great investment, see him as someone that they want to spend their money on. And either A, you know, they don't really put their collections out there because they're not tech savvy, or B, they they do put their collections out there. But a lot of the Marino collectors that I talk to, they don't have the same desire to share that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that for a fact. Like I, one of the things when I was, big time into Marino and really trying to figure out how I was spending my money and what I was going to spend my money on is trying to find some of these rare oddballs that were listed in a Beckett catalog that no one knew about. And um, so when I find these things, uh, I like sharing them. I like showing them off. I like saying, hey, this is what this card looks like. Because to me, you know, you might, you can see the prism golds, all that stuff all day long. Someone out there has a prism gold, or you can get an idea of what a prism gold looks like. But when you're looking at like a 1996 flick ball, uh, career achievement card, like, is this worth me saving 50 bucks to find one day? For me, it was. For other people, maybe not. They might look at it and save the suit, but at least they could, they could see it and, and make that decision for themselves. So I feel like one thing that I picked up from you is just like your knowledge of products and sets is like insane. Like you'll, you'll share cards with me, like Andrew Luck cards specifically that I'll be like, I had no idea this existed. Maybe talk a little bit about like how you navigate, like being such a significant Merino collector and just the the cataloging of what you have, and then also like trying to understand the products and sets and the cards and the rare parallels of Merino cards that you're still chasing. Like, how do you, how do you manage that all um, in your day to day? Product knowledge, I would say being a, being a player collector definitely has helped me understand what is more rare. Um, So back in the day, uh, there was a site called Sports Card Freaks. Every Friday night on Sports Card Freaks, there was a good old-fashioned internet chat room. It was trade night. We would all talk. We'd sit there. We'd shoot the breeze. You know, some of the the, the great names in the hobby, like HT Outlaws, I know, was always there, the big Barry Sanders collector. And myself and, and, and some others, I don't believe Peter ever joined us on that one. Every once in a while, maybe Peter, uh, Jade Rock, the Brunel collector, would pop in. But as a kid, the reason why I worked at a card shop really was because my nose was always in a Beckett. I was interested in knowing what was what. I was interested in knowing what was rare. I was interested in guessing right, like what's going to go up next month or a couple months from now. I was always interested in that. Like 
for example, I always I always was looking. One of the cards I hunted most for twenty freaking dollars was a nineteen ninety eight SB Authentic Brian Greasy rookie card out of two thousand. To me, for twenty dollars, this Broncos uh, a quarterback that has a pedigree, you know, the family pedigree of being already a Hall of Fame quarterback, twenty dollars. There's only two thousand of these made. This seemed like the safest bet in the world to me. You know, year two years later, it's a four hundred dollar card. I never found one for twenty because apparently everyone else was thinking like me. But it was, uh, it, it's that type of stuff. So between that and, and gauging values, guessing values, figuring out numbers, all the logistic uh, and logical breakdowns of what could potentially be a good card to trade for, a good card to target. Over the years, you know, I started meeting a lot of player collectors and, and you know, guys noticed what I was into and how much I was into this. And they started asking me questions like, hey, have you seen this card? Have you seen this set? How can I tell this card from this card? And eventually, not only through those conversations, they'd share with me their want list or their most desired cards. And I'll, I'll be honest, there's about five or 10 Merino cards that if I knew really how rare they were, I'd own them, own them now for pennies uh, compared to their, their value now. But there's just so much, and I never really chased the parallels as much when I was collecting as much Merino cards. To me, it was always more interesting, you know, if you have a card numbered out of 50 that's a shiny foil version that there's a other 20, 30 sets that have the same shiny foil, that's not as cool to me as, you know, an autograph where this card was designed, you can only find it autographed, there's 50 of these made, That that one was always cooler to me and nowadays it seems like the the shiny very parallels have turned into uh the big thing but really with these these player collectors as we're talking is you see what's always popping up on everyone wants want list you you see what people are having a hard time looking for like the one that pops up in my head was jade rock peter uh the brunel collector who has like 98.6 percent of everything including uh including one of ones and printing plates and, and runs of NFL logos. And just this, this collection that's ludicrous. Um, <laughs> he had 97 score uh, reserve collection on there and reserve collection was just a souped up version of score. So it wasn't popular. It wasn't, wasn't hot, but here's one of the biggest player collectors that has, there's two Brunel cards in the set and he doesn't have either of them. So that was a huge, huge flag to to me that hey, the moment I see one, I should get one. Unfortunately, those by the time the rest of the collective community noticed it, it was too late for me. But um, I picked up a few here and there. It's it's one of my favorite sets to kind of grab on the cheap and and be able to maybe buy something that I couldn't afford with, you know, with with that money I make from it. But yeah, it's really just you know the community uh, talking about. Uh, what's hot, what's rare with other people and to really find stuff that no one else has or understand what, even though it wasn't popular, uh, might actually be a centerpiece for a collection one day because it is so rare. Maybe talk a little bit about one thing I picked up uh, from you is just like you kind of surround have always surrounded yourself with people that might not be like exclusively collecting Moreno, but there's a Brunel collector and people that are collecting other player PCs like you're collecting Moreno. Maybe talk a little bit about just like 
the I talk a lot about just like she, we should always just share our cards. And the more you share the cards that you like or that you're looking for, the likely that people come to you and are saying, hey, I saw this Merino card or I've got this in my collection. This is for sale. Maybe talk a little bit about that like side effect that you have as be- being known as kind of like the Merino collector and your consistency of sharing and like what are some of the benefits that happen on the other side because of it? So I, I highly recommend to everyone, um, you always want to put your collection out there. If it's something that you want to add to, um, a lot of people are afraid people will take advantage of you. Not true. No, no one's going to overhike a card just because you're that specific collector. I mean, nine times out of 10, I've actually found where people are more willing to give me deals because they want to help my collection, which is something I never asked for or intended with sharing my collection, but obviously love the benefit of, uh, because if I save money, I can buy more stuff. Um, I've never like, honestly, throughout my years outside of Herdy, I've never really became super close with any other Merino collectors, mostly because of age gaps and one gentleman who Unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but I absolutely love uh, back at Sports Card Freaks. Uh, he went by the screen name of P.A. Slick Willie. Um, great dude. He sent me a few things sometimes when he knew I was down and out and was was always really kind to me. And, you know, we shared the passion with Marino. But um, I guess it was easier for me to navigate to the people who are big on their 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 player and know what's going on with their collection to help inspire my collection. And then while I'm looking, I know I can find something for my friend. And when my friend's looking, they know they could try to find something for me. I've, I've never really had that same experience with fellow Merino collectors, uh, which might be my fault because I'm selfish and I, I would just buy it for myself nine times out of 10. <laughs> but I mean, there's been times when there's been limited cards that other people have been like, Oh my, you could ever sell that to me. Uh, let me know that I find on eBay for much cheaper than I would ever sell it for. And, and I extend it. Um, and I've made some friends that way, but I think it's just for me. And that's one thing that I like, I admire about a lot of these like Brady groups and Peyton Manning groups and all that stuff. I don't know if it's because everything is just so freaking limited for you guys to chase that yeah. it's easier just to get as a group and, and talk about what you guys all love and share what you guys all love. Because with Merino stuff, unfortunately, a lot of it's a lot of it is pretty plentiful. You know, a lot of it everyone can own from the playing day stuff, except for maybe 20, 30 cards that are just so limited that you're lucky if you even ever see them in your lifetime. I'd love to learn about the like you're looking through your cards and how you um how do you decipher it you just go for everything? Is it like because obviously he's got his playing day stuff, which is a smaller window, but then he has, you know, been you know, continued to be produced in modern current products. Like I've seen your Merino gold prism runs, maybe talk a little bit about how you process the playing day stuff versus the post playing day stuff. It doesn't matter to me. In fact, a lot of my friends are like, Oh, don't you like this playing day card? Or don't you like this playing day card? Like the, the rubies, the precious metal gems, the, the central credentials. I had opportunities to buy those much much less than what they are now like pmg reds were like 80 bucks you know the the essential credentials the 98 the out of 52 i think 53 maybe 
Um, I, I could have bought that like three, four times at 175. I, I had the 98 PMGs because to me, the 98 PMGs were at the time the most unique card. Nothing was foiled like that. And they, they just looked phenomenal in, in comparison to, to almost everything else. The 99s I never liked. The rubies, all the ruby patterns, you know, artist proofs, clear inserts, case hits, things like that. That foil's been done in all the rubies. Um, so to me, to me, it was always about because I never had a lot of money. I had kids at an earlier age than 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 was intended. Uh, loved them to death, grateful for them, but you know they they would come first. And with the spare money that I would make from flipping cards or whatever, would really get me get me this the big stuff that I that I was looking for at the time. So for me, it was always about collecting like. I've, my collection's gone through stages. So if you talk to me in 2014, I had every single Marino insert ever made. I had every single regular card ever made. And I had the majority of all the oddballs ever issued. And there was about 10 autograph cards that I didn't, or 10 game used I didn't have, about 20 or 30 autograph cards I didn't have. I had a strict idea that if a high-end card featured the same photo as a base card, I didn't care to have that. Like if it's just a design difference or just a foil difference, it really wasn't worth the extra money to me. But if it was, if it was a high end autograph card, if it was uh, something completely unique, then I would spend the money and I would get it. And now we come to today. I actually had 2015 was rough. Uh, there was about 40 autograph cards that were limited to five or 10 that came out that hit my collections uh requirements so in one season my my collection uh want list doubled from 40 cards to 80 cards and i could see the writing on the wall it became less fun it became a chore so i actually stopped collecting merino for a long time i got into deadpool stuff i got into um you know i got more into cream abdul jabbar and 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 some other side collections that i'd been working on and i would buy merino stuff when it was super cheap i still kept looking but it wasn't near the level of passion or what i was or even am today and it was actually a 2019 prism when my one of my good friends m fault collector uh on blowout linked me a a prism gold that was in china that ended up selling for like 27 dollars and that kind of was like, okay, I think I'm going to go for this Prism Rainbow because it just kind of fell in the perfect timing. I I picked up my Letterman for like 180 bucks, and I started picking up some nice Merino stuff before COVID hit at really, really amazing prices. Back to your question as far as this long answer is my diving into like Prism Golds and things of that nature is kind of because I missed on the explosion of uh the rubies and the precious metal gems and essential credentials to me the stuff panini's was making uh, with flawless immaculate the early years of that stuff the prism products they're some of the nicest and most popular cards ever made prism no matter wh who you say or who you ask i've been through finest i've been through upper deck sp authentic i've been through exquisite i've been through early days of contenders Prism is by far the most popular brand of anything ever made in sports cards outside of maybe 87 tops baseball. The uniformity that Prism had where they 
they started with the the base card, the silver prism, the green retail, the gold, and they kept the numbering the same. And they kept the gold out of 10, and the gold is the rarest, and the gold is what you want. We'll add other bells and whistles. We'll throw in a one of one. We'll throw in, you know, candy striped, whatever. You know, it that stuff doesn't matter because ultimately the uniformity, the the collectors that want to collect the run of their player, we, we can't afford sets like like this unless unless we have major money. We can't afford having every single one of the card made in the entire rainbow anymore because there's only one person that could do that. So if you are a serious collector and you want your collection to stand out, it made me realize that the Prism Gold and having that run is really a way you can go that that will be able to make your collection unique, but also give you something back down the road should you choose to pass on collections to loved ones sell your collection should you be in need it, it always felt to me that this is fun i enjoy it i could never do this with 90 cards because the rainbows for the most part were much smaller and and it's it feels like it's a smart choice what is it marino's in 14 15 16 19 20 21 22 seven seven sets base card of marino's that's 70 made the 97 pmg has 150 made you know, the 98s are 50 each. There's 100 in that. So it just feels like these are rare. These are special. They stand out and, and people know the name. People know the brand. So that made me realize that this is how I should collect. Not only that, I like the cards. I like the flawless hollow golds that with the game using the autograph number out of 10. I paid more money for, the, for my two 2014s than almost every other card. But they're special. They're unique. They stand out and they have that speciality of being the first in an issue, a series that was coming out for many years that was popular amongst collectors for the time. And, and that's kind of where my, my collection has gone because fortunately I have been doing better in life as I've gotten older. And so what I'm spending it on is stuff that I feel is worth it. That even it makes me happy, but should something happen one day, I, I'm not going to be hurting because of my choices. So I find it so fascinating that a Dan Marino collector is speaking in such reverence for modern day Prism and Prism, the Panini products. It's just not something that I, I might, can not something that I would connect the dots on, but find it really interesting. When, when did you have this moment through your all these turns and iterations and evolutions of collecting Dan Marino, that the Prism product was the like you viewed it the way you view it now. Like when did that like uh, mindset hit you? What was that moment? Because I'm super curious to learn more about it. Backing up a little bit is Marino never had big rainbows like this. You know, tops 2010, 12. 14 chrome you have these rainbows that have 10 15 14 20 cards all these people are sharing their rainbow their rainbow their rainbow um so 2014 prism was the first set where marino really had that same refractor look and same rainbow uh really the only other thing that came close to that was 99 finest which had uh the team finest cards where there's a blue out of 150 a red out of 50 and a gold out of 25 in a refractor form 
So that really caught my eye. And I noticed very early on that the Merino cards that I was getting, uh, the retail ones especially, were selling much higher than everyone else. And then 2015 came, gold vinyls came around. And the gold vinyls were going for 200 plus at the time, while even the best modern players and modern rookies weren't going near that. So I, I, I kind of noticed the brand and what it was doing. There was uh, eventually around 2018, 2019, I started seeing Aaron Rodgers golds really selling at a premium compared to other players. And, it, and at the same time, too, I was seeing basketball. All of a sudden, the silvers and basketball, the rookie cards were becoming like Ben Simmons was a four digit card. So you could see this evolution happening in the same way that the precious metal gems were, where it, it had this huge cult following in the hobby. Everyone knew about it, but no one understood it. And then as I watched what people would share, what people would talk about, what new collectors would gravitate to, they were going towards the Prism uh, brands. And, and I can tell you 100% what that is all about. How often have you heard a new collector come into the hobby and be like, how many cards are made? You right. hear that a lot. Yeah. And that's one thing Panini did is, although they've made a lot of cards and probably more cards than anyone ever has they had a uniformity to it so that way if you wanted to come in as a collector and really collect what's best i mean 2008 you would have said oh if you really want a nice autograph card here's contenders but if you really want an autograph patchwork card, there's sp authentic but if you really want to figure out really what you want to spend there's national treasures and an exquisite and each of these have amazing patch autograph cards but there's five ten versions of these really get whatever lowest number one of those that you can afford. All of a sudden you're looking at 20, 30 cards and you're like, I just want a nice card. I don't care about all those bells and whistles. They're like, well, I guess you could do tops Chrome and it didn't have that same. Oomph. But nowadays it's like, dude, if you want the best rookie card, there's a prism brand best one to get the gold, unless you can afford get lucky, get the one of one or get, you know, get really lucky and find a gold vinyl. But that that gold and, and the prism base and the base rookie card, Panini really just did a good job creating that brand and, and giving new collectors something to target and giving dealers and older collectors something to tell new collectors about. I'd love to get your perspective on the football card collecting community in general. And, you know, I have been back collecting cards for a fraction that you have collected cards. But one thing that I've noticed in just my in my time back in the hobby is that just the it seems like the football card collecting community is growing stronger and it just seems like the knowledge transfer from the collectors i'm interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis is just like incredible so where at first when i came back it just seemed like there was not as many people collecting football cards but now it's very mature and i learn something new every day from the community what has been i maybe like the past five years or so do you feel that as just a longtime football card collector or uh, maybe are you seeing something different that's a tough one because i definitely there's obviously people who are in the hobby or getting back into the hobby i feel the majority of newer collectors are still collectors from the 90s they just getting back into it trying to get find their legs to swim in it I definitely realize as a whole that I realize as a whole that the hobby's growing. There's more money being spent on football cards than ever were. 
I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. Obviously, for for someone like myself, I have I have binders full of cards that have gone up exponentially from what I pay. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, I have binders of cards that I, I honestly and and I have friends that have amazing collections too that we kind of knew this would happen. It made sense, you know. You you when I was a kid, the biggest card out there and still is really in a lot of ways is the T206 Honus Wagon. It's all you ever heard of. This was the holy grail of all cards. Popular brand, Hall of Fame player, only 50 made, guessing. So growing up, it kind of became obvious that the Hall of Famer, popular set, limited edition card would be a great thing to spend money on. That 10, 20 years, the people are going to be looking for these things. And it's really going to become a thing. Uh, COVID sped that up a lot, like it did everything in a lot of ways. But I'd say that the, the flux of people coming in has been nice. I see a flux of people going out because of pricing, which has been bad. I see um, a lot of older hobby friends that sit down and they look at these prices that things are getting and they're like, how long do I until I step away from the casino? You know, they start looking at it not as something that they're loving, but as money. And it's dirty. And, and so I enjoy the hobby. I love talking about cards. I spend an exuberant amount of money on cards, way more than I should. I buy cards too cheap to sell at higher prices, too. Uh, so I am the villain and the hero of every story. It really comes down to, as far as what the hobby is and what I see is, I kind of just see the same thing in a lot of ways. like. I see a lot of people who who are coming and going. And I see a lot of people who have been in it and who have stayed. And I see a lot of people who got back into it and are loving it. And, and maybe I just have a, a, a rose-tinted glasses over the scenario, but I, I don't see it going away. I don't see people stopping entirely. I see people who are as passionate as I am, if not more passionate. I see people who are more invested than I am or and and have no problem spending even more money than I I've already had in my lifetime tomorrow on one card. And that's good. Um I see football becoming and, and this might be, be because of the anti-social aspects over the past few years. Um I could talk about that actually. One thing I noticed with football growing up is football was a Sunday event. Football was, let's get together, let's tailgate, let's get the family together. You know, we'll, we'll all bring some food, we'll get in, have a little potluck. Maybe one person at the house is doing two, $300 meal for something. Let's have, you know, maybe there's some weird stuff like a helmet that's a, that's a telephone over here with the favorite team. You know, that's what football was. Baseball was people who were passionate about their baseball cards, you know, basketball people we're all into Michael Jordan and really want to know what he is. Football was all about team and community and getting together. And maybe that's one of the things that's really brought people to football cards is mm -hmm. because COVID took that ability to socialize away from us. So to experience football, to experience, to have that extra money that you had the three, $400 on steaks or, and, and burgers and all that stuff for you and five, 10 of your friends, you know, all of a sudden turns into let let me get a cart part of my favorite player you know and i always said you'll like this because 
2012, Contenders, Andrew Luck was the hottest card on the planet. 550 May was selling for like 1200 bucks. And people were like, why? And I would always say, are you kidding me? Like, why isn't everything selling for more? And every single Sunday, a stadium fills up with 55,000 people to watch Andrew Luck play football. And you're telling me it only one out of a hundred of those people have decided that they want to spend 1200 bucks on Andrew Luck's best rookie card. People spend eight, $10,000 a year to watch Andrew Luck play. You're going to tell me the people aren't going to take maybe one weekend that they couldn't go sell that ticket to a friend or someone, you know, and, and then instead buy Andrew Luck's best rookie card. It just never made sense to me. Like, and I'm, I'm glad that football is getting some of the value and some of the respect than it ever did before. I think a lot of that value and, and increased people looking at the hobby is we all have loved ones. We all have, all have a spouse or family members or friends who look at us and like, oh, you're wasting money on that. Oh, you shouldn't spend money on that. Well, Tom Brady, as he's exploded, Patrick Mahomes, as he's exploded, it's kind of, hey, you know, if I bought this Brady card in 2006 after he already won three Super Bowls for 300 bucks, you know, instead, I'd be sitting on a $50,000 card now. That was only 300. Like, maybe my guy's the next guy to do that. Or maybe my, you know, it kind of justifies the money we're spending. So there's about three, four talking points for that. You, you pick which one. <laughs> no, I've tossed that one out there. And I, uh, I think your response especially the covid and the money saved and how i i think it i'm gonna i'm gonna pull some of that and put it in my own theory but i like a lot of what you said um i'd I'd love to maybe learn more from you about just specific products i know your knowledge is deep but just what what are the products that you've got merino cards in or other stuff that you collect that stand out in your mind as some of your favorites I'm not a rich man by any means. And in fact, most of my financial financial decisions have probably been poor. So I've always enjoyed, you know, buying the cards from products I dream of ever opening a pack. You know, I've, I've I'll watch people open packs, you know, when I was near a card shop all the time. So I, I always loved Exquisite. Um, I love Flawless. National Treasures, um, I liked it but didn't as much because they would make a lot of the same cards, same parallels. Uh, they started around 2012. They started making more unique cards in the sets. So that's when I started buying more national treasures. Uh, let's see. Immaculate. I love immaculate. Um, those are really like the, the, the sets. There's a reason why, you know, they have high values. They retain their values. The packs are expensive um, is because they're just great products. They, they look good. You hold one, you feel like you got something special. You're you're not gonna gonna uh, lose out for like '90s stuff, like really in the wheelhouse of Marino and growing up. I was a huge fan of Playmakers Theater before anyone. Uh, I loved that set, and I, one of my big hobby regrets is not wanting to spend forty dollars on a Brett Favre or Barry Sanders card. You know, yeah, I mean, game use stuff. 2002 playoff piece of the game that was one of the most fun sets i ever put together i love that set the, the there's tons of sets that i think are great out there to fit all types of budgets as far as my collection and playing player collection and merino stuff it's definitely like this exquisite the flawless 
um, the prism golds. Those are the things that really, really like I look at and like, wow, that I can't can't believe I own this. Uh, the 96 certified mirror red premium stock. Look at that. I'm wild. I can't believe I own it. You know, it, it's little sprinkles of things here and there, but no, like, like I said, uh, like I keep going back to growing up, you didn't have that set every year in and out that you could say, this is the best set. You know, you just, you just did it. And, and the test of time, uh, a lot of those sets from the nineties, uh, pale in comparison of stuff to the mid two thousands and definitely to the 2010s. It's just the quality is nowhere near the same. Um, you have etched foils and some different design, uh, you know, when they try to assemble the cards and things like that. But I, I would put some of those designs against the the upper deck shadow box cards, and those shadow box cards are cool as heck, you know. So a lot of people make fun of me, like, how can you not love a PMG red? I'm like, it's shiny red card with hollow foil. Like, <laughs> it just it just doesn't it never did it for me. When when you think about your collection your merino collection what are some of the top cards that come to your mind oh definitely the playmakers theater um when it comes to 90 cards that has etch foiling hollow foiling embossed and the way the light hits those cards it just dances and i think also because growing up whenever i saw a picture of one when you take a picture and was always in beckett it was this plain looking green (laughs) ugly thing like they were hideous in the pictures and I actually, there's a what video with that I did with Adam. I actually pulled a basketball one, and it was gold, flat foil, nothing special to it, but it was cool because the number out of hundred. So I'd see the picture of the football, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's that's the same thing. It's just this flat foiled, ugly color. I'm, I'm never going to want one one of those." And then one day I saw one sitting in a box when I was I was at a card show, and it just glowed from a from ten feet away, and I was like that card's mine i'm taking that home i know exactly what that is and i had no idea it was that beautiful so that's always going to be my favorite favorite card the other stuff that really really gets me is the uh and everyone's gonna be mad because unfortunately there's only five of them made and there's only 20 players uh 2005 exquisite the helmet signature cards that have have a huge uh half dollar size piece of uh game used helmet signed by signed on by the player um, only five of those made that that is one of the coolest cards coolest sets first year exquisite uh nothing can beat that and then other than that i'm really in love with my 97 essential credentials right now but it just came in uh that's always been a cool set and a set that i thought about doing one time until uh, i realized barry sanders and jerry rice would cost me like 400 bucks <laughs> which doesn't seem like a smart decision now but <laughs> But yeah, premium uh, 96 premium stock uh mirror reds uh outside of the 2000 uh certified gold team um nothing looks like that. Uh 97 uh score it, 15 teams had their own team uh box set uh and in those were a red version which had the the foil of a uh, a ruby or the artist proofs that same wavy wavy foil um uh, and then there was a gold one which looks like a cross between cracked ice and a circular holographic pattern that i can't describe nothing looks like that card it's called premier club and if if you ever see your player and you like like cards that you gotta get your player on that 
I don't think the Colts had any sets though. So you are spared from that because the Colts would be very difficult. Uh, it was regional issues and it, 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 it's, it, they can get tough outside of the Packers. Packers were, were uh, nationwide. So yeah, those, those are, those are some of the sets that I really enjoy and, and like. I hope everyone out there is uh, listening to Tim and setting up your save searches. He has sent me plenty of stuff in the past that causes me to set up a save search. And I guess that's just the fun of meeting people and sharing what we love about sports cards. Tim, this was incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your insight and passion for your Merino collecting, but just the hobby in general. There was so much more that we could go down and talk about, and we'll have to do it again. Appreciate the time, man. Yeah, as do I. And I uh, hope you got uh, plenty of stuff to use, and uh, you can make me sound somewhat coherent rather than rambling and babbling. Thanks a lot, Tim. All right, man. So much tribal knowledge in that collector, and what a Merino collection. So many cards, so many years, so many eras, and the collecting never stops. If you're not already... Give Marino Collector a follow. You enjoy the weekend. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back with more stacking slabs on the other side.